panic that worked for me. Politics classes were more interesting, especially the lectures by Professor L.F. Crisp, who was an authority on Labor Prime Minister Ben Shifley. I occasionally joined the honours students who congregated in his study after class to hear him reminisce. He actually knew a Prime Minister. We sat on the fraying carpet in his office, mouths agape. Some of those students were already playing politics and the student union meetings echoed loud with red-hot rhetoric on the rights and wrongs of the world. Who was to blame and what needed to be done about it? We were basking in the afterglow of the summer of love and the slogans and lyrics rolled off the tongue easily. Make love, not war. If you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. And I fell in love quickly and on more than one occasion. This earth-shaking part of growing up had mostly eluded me until then, but was suddenly centre stage. It was heady mind and body contact, a supercharging of the senses. Some relationships didn't last that long, but emotions were always on the boil, and breakups and making up commonplace. In fact, the freedoms we were experiencing were a kind of mirage, because most people were really looking for the perfect mate. Eventually, the ship of young fools righted itself. And the search for an authentic relationship began in earnest, as it has since the first of never. Still, the campus pulsed with an energy that, when directed, was potent. One of the big issues of the day, Australia's involvement in the Vietnam War, was dividing the nation. The conflict was long-running, having started in 1965. Young men were chosen by lottery to do national service and serve in the army. But as the war grew increasingly unpopular, some young men who were picked simply refused to cooperate. I was due to be considered in the next selection process, and if my birth date was drawn, I would have to decide then if I chanced my luck or go on the run. The second issue attracting attention was the system of apartheid that had divided South Africa into a two-tier society, with black South Africans on the bottom. The student leaders and much of the student body were of one mind. Both issues had to be remedied immediately, whatever it took. In the case of the campaign against apartheid, ANU students were well-placed to make an impact. The National Parliament was just across the lake, as were various embassies and consulates that had a presence in Canberra. The South African embassy became a target for student activists who planned a succession of actions, including a permanent posse standing outside the embassy with signs reading, Toot against apartheid. This meant the sound of car horns blasted across the parliamentary precinct all day and, courtesy of those students who had cars, all night as well. The tour of Australia by the South African Springbok rugby team was an opportunity to intensify the campaign. Games were interrupted by spectators who took to the field, smoke bombs were set off, the police presence was significant and civil disobedience was legion. We marched in large numbers from the university into the centre of town, to protest the arrival of the Springboks in July 1971. Looking back down University Avenue at a crowd that took up all the available space, 10 people wide and stretching for half a kilometre or more, brought home the latent power that people have when they gather en masse for a cause if they are willing to use it. In the ensuing tussles with police, a number of students were arrested and later released as the game staggered on. In the stands surrounding the pitch, chaos reigned. Even though it was another 10 years before the South Africans were banned from playing international rugby, so long as apartheid was in place, the seeds of change were well planted during this time. 
Bergman College became an occasional refuge for those students on the front line. One evening, a short, stocky student rushed into the college, soaking wet. David Bradbury, later to forge a career as a documentary filmmaker, was a student radical who'd narrowly escaped the clutches of the police, leaving his wristwatch behind. The arresting officers were determined to track Bradbury down under the guise of returning his watch. Spotted by the federal police, walking over a bridge that crossed Sullivan's Creek, which separated the colleges and the university, Bradbury chose the superhero option, leaping off the bridge and into the creek. He then scrambled up the bank with the police in hot pursuit and dripping wet and covered in muddy reeds, scampered into Bergman. David Griffin refused the police entry and the college provided a safe hiding place for the fugitive until things quietened down. The university colleges also provided a bolt hole for those students avoiding conscription. These were the brave ones, hanging in the shadows and moving on each night to avoid arrest.